Come on, church, shout if you love Jesus, somebody in this place. Happy to be alive. Happy to be with all your brothers and sisters celebrating. One more round of applause for those uh, saying yes to baptism today. That was fun. I brought a, I brought a change of shirt. I should have brought a change of pants and shoes. If I start squishing when I preach, just say hallelujah over top of the squishing. I love it. I absolutely love it. I would do it again. <laughs> God is good. Well, hey, I have a few quick announcements um, before we dive in. I want to talk about this coming Friday. It's going to be called First Friday. It's a, a night of prayer, a night of extended worship, and probably a night of ministry. And it's really a night of following the Holy Spirit. And it's cultivating an atmosphere of his, of his presence. That makes sense. And where we recognize that without him, we don't have a lot of hope of, of impacting this culture. And so when we get together in corporate times of worship, extended times of worship or prayer, something happens in the atmosphere where we make a way, right, for the God of glory to come in. And so we want to do that. This coming Friday at 7 o'clock, put it on your calendar. I know it's a holiday weekend, but y'all aren't going anywhere. You're coming to Grace Church. Just, I just alerted you. <laughs> no, that's okay. If you can make it, we would love to have you here. And um, I, we, we did some changes, and then we never talked about them. But I want you to just pay attention to the little QR codes on the seat back in front of you, every other seat. And what that's for is for you to get your smartphone out if you have it, <laughs> open up your Apple or whatever it is, and scan that. And it takes you right to our online Connect card. From there, you can sign up, uh, you can fill out a Connect card telling us that you're new to Grace Church. You can do a prayer request from there. You can sign up for a group. Heck, you can sign up for the next baptism if you want. I don't actually think it's open yet. But um, you can sign up for an event uh, and, and check us all out. You know, whatever's on our website and events coming up are also on there. So if you get really bored with my message, you can start scanning that thing in front of you. <laughs> and, and dive into that. Also, we, we updated what's called our giving uh, stations. And there, there's two now hanging on the wall. They're to the back of the auditorium, um, to the right and to the left, and in the lobby to the right and the left. And we wanted better security for people dropping off their checks and their cash. Sometimes they're sitting back there in this beautiful basket. Nothing wrong with that. But this brings you security that when you drop off your check, it's not going to go anywhere because it's under lock and key. And then when we collect that, there's always two people collecting that from staff. Is that okay? And so there are still envelopes back there. You can pause at that table, write out your $1,000 checks, and then, or 100000 sorry, I misspoke, and then, <laughs> and then you can drop them safely in there. Is that okay? I just wanted you to know that we're updating just a few things, and sometimes we update things and then just don't talk about them, and then you guys are wondering what's going on, so... Hey, we're in a series called Pray, Praise, and Prophesy, and uh, today I'm going to focus mainly on the aspect of our praise, but uh, like I said when I started this series, it's hard to talk about one without the other because the ways that we interact God are always overlapping. Sometimes prayer is praise, and sometimes our praise turns becomes a prayer, and in and that we declare the word of the Lord because when we pray and we praise, when we worship, he loves to interact with us back. Right? It's, all, it's a two-way. And then we sense things, and then we speak it out. It's called repeating God, right? Like, that's the prophetic nature, and I'll talk more about that next week. But, but all of those kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, ways that we interact with God, the ways that He interacts with us. But to, today, I want to talk about praise and worship. I'm going to use those 
phrase this interchangeably, if that's okay, praise, worship, because um, they're both in Scripture, and uh, they're often interpreted, interpreted very similarly. Worship means the feeling. Here's just your dictionary thing. The worship means the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, right? Most of us, if you come here, understand that, that we do that. Praise, it expresses warm approval or admiration of. And so they go, they go hand in hand. So I'm gonna use those interchangeably throughout the message. Though praise and worship is and should be an everyday thing, let me start there. Culturally, though, you know, we think church services, right? Religious events. Maybe small groups, maybe you'll worship uh, alone in your car. Uh, but I would like us to consider maybe a broader view today. But I'm going to talk about corporate worship when we gather like this. I have a, I have a few things to chat about that you might enjoy. Um, but I do think we're going to break some barriers between the sacred and the secular, right? Because worship should be an everyday thing. It doesn't mean that you get a full worship band in your living room every time, although that'd be great if you did. No, you might turn on YouTube, but it might just be verbal. But you do worship, right? And it should be an everyday thing, not only just an act of the heart, but it is. Worship and praise actually looks like something. In our culture, we've been led to believe, I'm going to pick on you just a little bit because I got picked on a lot when I first got saved because I had cultural stuff. Come on, somebody. But praise and worship looks like something. It's not just that I'm worshiping on the inside, like the little toddler, you know, who's made to sit down when he don't want to. Yeah, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, no, <laughs> that's fine. And it should be an attitude of the heart. And we can preach a message about that. But praise and worship is actually expression. I'm sorry, I just read you scripture and I read you what actually the Webster's Dictionary says. And we're gonna go into scripture. It actually is expression. It is a condition of the heart, but it is also something expressed outwardly. Um, so let's look into that more deeply. Um, our hearts poised toward exalting Jesus then should be normal and then you find expression for that. It's not always singing. It could, it could be verbal. Does that make sense? So <clears throat> when I was, uh, I was raised in a very uh, liturgical uh, what I would call old, old order Mennonite church. And so when someone would say, what, what is your praise and worship time? Number one, it was relegated to, you know, about 30 minutes on a Sunday morning when we're singing hymns. And I thought it was only for that and, and only then real specific methods, sitting very quietly like you are now, most humbly, reverently, carefully, and quietly kind of singing a cappella hymns. And that was the extent of what I thought worship meant, right? Until I got around some people that were lit by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> then they rocked my world and I went, what are they doing and why? I want to know why. What compels them to stand to worship and to use expressions that are way more outward than I was, a comp than I was a, a familiar with. And they're clapping hands. Some of them are dancing. Some of them are kneeling before the Lord and they're shouting hallelujah all over the place. And I'm, like, I'm never coming back to this place. This is way too whack for me. I want to get saved. I know I need Jesus, but this place, I don't know. Next Sunday, I was right back there <laughs> because they had something real 
And quite frankly, they had something biblical. Let's dive into that. But I had to go through a season, and it didn't take me long. Honestly, it was less than a year, but I had to go through a season where I put aside my cultural norms of what I was taught praise and worship was to adopt a more biblical view of what praise and worship is and decide what God likes. Is that okay? As Pastor Ray mentioned last week when he talked about worship, is that we all do worship. We all are created for worship, and we do worship something. We're not all called to lead worship. That's a different anointing on someone, but we're all called to worship, and we all, whether we know it or not, do worship something. We all, and by the way, this is none of my notes, but if you want a quick assessment of what it is you worship, a very quick assessment is where do I spend most of my time and most of my money? <laughs> That's, a, that's an indicator. Now, we have to spend a lot of time at work, and sometimes we spend a lot of money on our homes and families, so I'm not, I'm not dissing any of that. I do too, right? But where you spend most of your time and what's most important, where you spend most of your money, the, you know, the, typically gives you an indication to say, is this at the highest thing that I worship? And then it's like, say, God, you're Lord of all, even over my time and money, Amen. And so that's just a quick indicator. But we do worship. It's just a matter of what or whom. Here's our first scripture for the morning. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Somebody say all things. And by your will, and another translation says, for your pleasure, they existed and they were created. In other words, you were created for this. And you were actually built that way in your mother's womb. You were actually created to bring praise, honor, and glory to God most high. There's a lot of other reasons you were created, and that's okay. But number one, you were created to bring him glory, honor, and pleasure by, by exalting him. Are you okay with that? It's in your DNA. You can't escape it. You can ignore it if you want to, but that is how you were created by the great creator himself, Father God. Judson Cornwall put it this way. He was a, a theologian and a, a, a fairly famous author uh, decades ago. But he says, worship helps us find who we are and why God has placed us here on the earth. When we bow in God's presence with worship, only then are we made complete. And I would submit to you that many of us are on this journey of discovery, perhaps. And maybe that's you here today. Like, why am I here? And what have you called me to do? And how to exist? And how to function, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I would submit this to you, that when we get worship right, we get a lot of other things right after that. When we first and foremost learn to exalt God most high, the one who created us and placed us here for his purposes, then all those other things come into place as well, underneath that. I don't like to use the word totem pole, that's new age religion, but you know what I mean by the totem pole of your heart? You know, like God first, and then all these other things can come into alignment. Somebody say alignment. So let's learn to worship him first and foremost with all of our lives. Um, so I have four main concepts to chat with you about. I hope they bless you, maybe they'll stretch you. Um, tuck your big toe under the seat if you don't want it to get stepped on. Um, <laughs> As I talk about cultural norms a little bit, but here's the four questions I'm raising today, and then I want to I talk a little about it. Number one is who defines praise and worship? Who gets to decide what praise and worship looks like? And then number two, is it authentic and genuine, right? We want authentic worship. We're not conformists, right? Does that make sense? Number, number three, does it enhance or hinder? And I'm talking about corporate worship. So I'm gonna talk about when we all get together as a family. Does it enhance or hinder? And then question number four, why do we worship? Why worship? 
Um, I asked that question when I first got saved. Why are these people so exuberant? Come on, somebody. So let's go to number one. Number one is who defines praise and worship? Well, my cultural definition of worship, I would have to say, was way, way off. Was not defined by God except for singing. Now, that's still big in our culture. Uh, We're, we're, for some odd reason, in this uh, Dutch country uh, that we live in, Pennsylvania, (laughs) singing is very clearly defined as praise and worship. But all the other expressions of praise and worship are less defined and less celebrated, and a lot of churches not even allowed. Some churches even close by, you can get kicked out if you're too exuberant in worship. Come on, somebody. Singing, though, is generally accepted, right? But I went, when I went on a cultural journey, um, I was always okay with singing. Well, of course, that makes sense. We all sing together, but I had to put aside my understanding. Um, there's an example here from Gary Chapman. I don't know if you raise your hand if you read the book, The Five Love Languages. It's been out for quite a long time, but um, uh, Gary Chapman's not paying me to promote his book, <laughs> but I like it because here's the five love languages that he created people to have, and I think he got it right. Gary Chapman, when he says uh, different people have various, uh, various needs to feel loved in these ways. It's words of af- affirmation or compliments. Uh, quality time is another one. The uh, gifts, receiving of gifts, acts of service. And then, of course, the fifth one is physical touch. Now, all of us typically have all of those ways that we feel loved generally, but a lot of us have, have placed those five love languages on a hierarchy. Like, I feel most loved when I feel words of affirmation or et cetera, and, and it's all switched around. And so here's the thing I want to say about that is when I met Alicia, it's not up to me to tell her how I'm going to love her. It's up to me to discover what makes her feel loved and then get busy doing that. Does that make sense? Who defines how you feel loved? The person being loved gets to define what feels like love. Otherwise, it's control or manipulation or even abuse, quite frankly. I don't get to decide what makes you feel loved either. It works in friendships, very key relationships, and especially in marriage where we go on a journey and she says, Vern, what makes you feel loved? Now, I'm not talking about worship right now, okay? She doesn't worship me, does that make sense? But it applies because then she gets to go on a journey and say, oh, well, you know, he likes this more than that. Well, and then I get to do that for her. And we discovered that all, all four of our kids had different love languages, Right, Some of them really like to feel loved one way, and another one was always quality time, and some kids like to be hugged, and to this day, some of our kids don't like to be hugged as much as other kids. Why? That's because God is diverse. He's as diverse as you. And so here's the thing. God gets to decide what makes him feel loved, what makes him feel worshipped and adored, and, it's, and it's, it behooves us. I don't even use that word in normal language, but I use it when I preach. I don't know why. It behooves us. To go on that journey and say, God, what makes you feel loved, adored, and liked? As opposed to me doing something, sitting here looking all cute and pretty, and saying, God, don't you see how much I love you? Maybe he does, and maybe he doesn't, right? It's up to us to go on that journey and then then get biblical and say, what does he define worship and and love to feel like? Um, So he defines it. You okay with that so far? Man, he gave us 150 chapters written by mostly King David and a few other authors that describe praise and worship. And he called David, come on, he called King David a man after my own heart. Come on, somebody. 
Why? Because he knew how to get to God's heart and he knew how to move God's heart. And mainly the 150 chapters that we still use today that create a lot of our current day worship songs actually um, are, are, uh, are defining in there various ways that God feels loved, appreciated, worshiped, and adored. And uh, let's start with the word hallelujah, right? Why do Christians say hallelujah? Somebody say hallelujah. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> but I say it because I'm in church, y'all. <laughs> this is, it comes from the Hebrew word halal, H-A-L-L-A-L. It means to praise. And so we get our modern English word hallelujah from the Hebrew word halal, where they would say, I praise, or it means to praise. And it's used quite often throughout the Psalms for sure in other places. Uh, it, this, but this is what it means more in depth. Let's look deeper into the Hebrew. It means to make a show or rave about, rave about. When's the last time you raved about God? To glory in or boast upon. Now I'm gonna get even more crazy. You ready? To be clamorously foolish about your adoration of God. Somebody say halal. Now that changes the definition, doesn't it? Hallelujah. And suddenly you're going, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the meaning of the Hebrew word. Because when somebody was dancing around like King David before the Ark of the Covenant, they were like, that is halal. That is hallelujah. He is exuberantly praising. I know I'm stepping on the cultural norms way too quickly. Just take a deep breath. Y'all are okay. And if you sit there looking cute the rest of the message, I'm okay with that too. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. Is that okay? Some of you are like, oh man, I thought I was going to run for the door here soon. Psalm 48.8 says, in God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks. And right there, some translation says we will praise, but the old translation says we will halal your name forever. It says right there, we will boast in the Lord and we will glory or boast upon and we will clamorously be foolish about our adoration of God and we will rave about him. Now that changes Psalms 44 verse 8 just a little bit, does it not? Let's, let's go further. Here's other definitions, and I don't have time for them all, but I did a study even a few years ago. Other definitions of Hebrew or Greek words for the word praise, for the word worship, and sometimes for the word rejoice. They're used interchangeably throughout Scripture. One of them, and I can't pronounce them all, so I'm not going to try. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but all the different definitions of Hebrew or Greek words, one of them means to kneel or to bow down is to praise him. You're allowed to do that. Raising or lifting your hands. Somebody put a hand in the air right now. Y'all comfortable with that? I saw you earlier. Y'all comfortable with clapping your hands? That's actually another word for praise is to clap your hands. Another, yep, there you go. <laughs> another word is defined right, and, and they're, they're all different. I, this is amazing because they're all in the book of Psalms or mostly in the Old Testament, a little bit in the New, but they're all defined just slightly different, and the Hebrew words just change a little bit of letters, and it means something different to them. Here's another one. This one means making a joyful noise and shouting. And I heard you do that this morning as well. And then, of course, the other one means to sing. And they sang together, making joyful noise. Here's another one. Jumping and leaping and dancing for joy. Come on. <laughs> I'm just waiting for y'all to like run. No, that's okay. Y'all are good. 
Here's another one. It means it's defined as, differently, laying prostrate flat on your face before the Lord. Get a strong concordance and look all these words up. It's right in there. Here's another one. I'm not even done. I'm not even done. I'm just getting started. They had so many different words for worship and praise and rejoicing. Um, here's another one. Playing musical instruments. That's good, right? We're, we're good with that. And then finally, loving God with verbal expressions of thanks and adoration. So when they saw someone just verbally expressing their thankfulness to, to God, they would call that praise as well. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up that point by saying God gets to define what, what worship and praise actually means and then we get to go on a discovery to, to, so that uh, you know, so that we're aligned biblically and not necessarily just our culture. You okay? But I have another one. I have another one. Here's, here's another one. Maybe my favorite. I don't want to let this out. I'm trying to hurry up because I don't want to keep you here past two o'clock. Um, <laughs> Psalms 118.24. Very, very familiar to some of you. Probably some of you memorized this one. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Here's the word rejoice. You ever wonder what it means? Example Hebrew word, gil. It's, it's G-I-Y-L. It's pronounced gil. It means to rejoice, to exult, to be glad. Y'all ready? To spin around <laughs> under the influence of any violent emotion. Yes. Yeah. I know. I'm shocked as you are. <laughs> now that ruins that verse for me. <laughs> that actually makes me like that verse even a lot more. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will spin around and I will give in to emotion and I will praise and worship the Lord with all abandonment if I want to because he is worthy of this day being glorified in it. I dare you, I double dare you, triple dare you to just go to Google Go to your search engine and look up Hebrew or Greek words for praise or worship or the word rejoice and, and see what is in there and keep going on that journey. You all okay with that so far? Yep. All right. One or two of you is still good. I'm going to move on to second. Number two. Here's another thought for you. Is it authentic or is it genuine? <clears throat> here's what I want for Grace Church. Grace Church... Um, we're not conformists. In other words, we're not of the denomination that says you all should look alike, act alike, and dress alike. Uh, okay? And, then, and conformity, though, it, like when we are praising and worship, you know, we do that so that there's unity uh, in the spirit, that we're declaring the same thing. However, I don't know if you know this, but if you want to, when we're praising and worshiping, you can sing your own phrases if you want to. You can shout hallelujah when it's not on the screen if you want to. Is that okay? So, so we're not conformists in that sense. But here's what I like. I would like the freedom to express our love to the Lord here in this place. I know the pastor Ray said the same thing. It's using uh, the same emotions that you might use to express praise, love, or adoration for the other many, many things in your life, you know? You got a hole in one on the golf course and you don't stand still. I've seen some of you. You don't stand still and you're not quiet um, about your love and adoration of yourself. Um, <laughs> no, but, but let, let's say again, and Pastor Ray said it, there's no disparity. But here's what I would like. I would like the freedom to be here. Come on, somebody. That if somebody wanted to, they may. 
So we're not conformists. And it's like, well, this makes people nervous when pastors preach like this because, oh my gosh, are we all going to be made to dance? Are we all going to be made to raise our hand? No, no, I, I, I'm, that's not authentic. What's authentic is that you feel compelled to, because of your love for Jesus Christ, or you've remembered something that he did for you, you've remembered a way that you got free, or you're getting free from something, you're thanking him for a breakthrough, or you're thanking him for a breakthrough that's on the way. Come on, somebody. Because you're standing in faith. And if you want to, you should feel free to. And that's different than conformity. What I would hate is for people to walk away from Grace Church and say, I wanted to shout hallelujah or halal, but I didn't feel free to because I looked around me and saw the people. And I was afraid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we should feel free to. Come on. <laughs> Amen. But does that make sense, somebody? <laughs> Second Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sometimes, and I've counseled many people, and what I mean by counseling is pastoral counseling. I'm not a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania, but I'm talking about coaching people in their walk with the Lord. That is my primary calling. And when people are like, I just don't feel free to express or to sing or to praise or to worship or to pray out loud and, you know, or to prophesy or say something. And then I usually say, I often say, and I'm asking you this question this morning, what do you need to get free from? I don't, I'm not, not necessarily a demonic stronghold, but it could be just a cultural stronghold. What do you need to get free from in order to worship freely? You know, there was a place where Moses said, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but Moses, you know, went to, to King Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. Remember that story, some of you? And I'm gonna, I want to lead them to a, a promised land. But this is what he said. Set my people free that they might worship you. And that is actually where I get that. It's like when people are going, oh, I just feel, I'm not sure. What, what is it exactly that is hindering you? And I don't know. Again, that could be as diverse as you are in this place and those watching online. I don't know. But here's, here's a story for you. Where do I get this from? You're not, you don't have to be compelled. In other words, you don't have to be coerced or taught to worship when you actually get free from something. It happens quite naturally. Why do I say that? I'm going to read Acts 3. I'm going to read the story from Peter and John. Went up to the temple, and it was the hour of prayer, and they were going to pray in the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried when they laid him daily at the gate of the temple where he, uh, the temple that was called Beautiful, and they, uh, he was asking for money um, from those who entered the temple. And he saw Peter and John about to go to the temple asking for money. And, and he's fixing his eyes on them, John and Peter, uh, with John, and, and, and they fixed their eyes on him with John. Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, the man that was just healed, leaping up, Nobody had to teach him how to worship. He's leaping up. He stood and he walked and entered the temple with them, walking. This is odd for this culture, just as much as it is in some Pennsylvania Dutch cultures, 
doesn't fit their culture at all. He's walking, and now he's leaping, and he's praising God in the temple where they all sit like this. God of Elijah. Come on, somebody. That wasn't normal. Why? Because he got free and didn't care what anybody said around him. He didn't care what the scribes, the Pharisees said. He didn't even care what the disciples, no one taught him to do that. He got free and he entered the temple leaping and praising God saying, you are the God Jehovah who has just healed me. I'm going to worship and no one's going to tell me not to. I feel free in this place no matter what. I tell you again, I tell you again, that when we get free from the cultural norms, we get free from ourselves, free from the fear of man, free from our past, we, we declare that the God of grace has rescued me from the lies and the pit of hell. We don't necessarily have to be taught to worship. We can teach about it, but it qu- comes quite naturally. There are times when you want to worship, but there's things hindering you because of our culture. I will submit that to you carefully. If the shoe does not fit, toss it off. But if it fits, put it on and then say, freedom is mine in Jesus' name. We experience the God of miracles and we look ahead for the God of miracles to move his mighty hand. A provision, healing is coming. He's going to faithfully provide for me every day. And then I stop when I pray those prayers, even if I'm faith or praising him for something that already happened, I start to say, thank you, God. I worship you in this place. I give you glory. I give you honor. My corporate praise looks a little different than my private praise. And that's okay. At home, I'm mostly verbal. I don't dance around my living room too much. I might have on occasion, but sometimes I'll verbally exalt him. That's also worship. It's not just singing. Does that make sense? There's an attitude to the heart that says, I praise you and I honor you and I'm not hindered in this place. He will get the highest praise and the highest honor and he will get my emotional expression. Is that okay? Come on, if this little Mennonite boy, <laughs> I wasn't raised in this culture. I was raised, come on, come on, Melvin and Carla. You know what I'm talking about. I got visitors here from Lifeway Church this morning, two very good friends of mine, Melvin and Carla. We just welcome them right there. Love you guys. We were raised in a culture that was more stoic than stoic. It was more stoic than the stoic cultures that you've heard about. Come on. And, And Melvin knows what I'm talking about. And they do not express emotion in the stoic German cultures. They do not express love and affirmation. And when it comes to praising God, they look like they're constipated. Everybody needs a pill. <laughs> Y'all remember when we learned to praise God. And I glanced over one time at Lifeway Church and I saw Melvin and I said, I know exactly what Melvin and Carla are going through. Coming out of that culture where we did not feel free to express anything. And then coming into a culture where it says, if God has done something in your life, it's okay for you to shout, to dance, to praise. And I looked back and I saw Melvin raising his hands right like this. And I went, me too, man. That's what I had to come into. I was 19 years old and nobody had to teach me. Now you raise your hands, Vern. Now you kneel before the Lord, Vern. No, I got free from so much hell, death, and destruction that when I walked into people that were free to express what all God had done in their lives, I was right there with them. My hands were up in the air. I went like this. I clapped my hands with them. I, I danced I danced so long before the Lord one time, and this was at a conference. I danced so, so long before the Lord because the worship kept going at an all-night prayer meeting that I literally fell over from exhaustion. I could not dance anymore. And then I rested for 30 minutes in the presence of the Lord, and I got up and danced another hour. Because I was just so full of praise and so full of joy and all that he had set me free from. Come on, somebody. 
Number three, number three, little thought for the morning, does it enhance or hinder? And what I mean by that is our corporate worship and praise. What you do at home, I'm not there to check on you. That's okay. You can shout your neighbors down if you want to. (laughs) You can worship in your backyard and in the mountains if you want to and at the lakes and you can do what you want. You can put on worship music. What I'm talking about, does it enhance or hinder? There's a season then where we get all together and our brothers and sisters. So in this place, we wanna be good hosts of the presence of God and then good hosts of people as well. And those two go hand in hand when you meet together corporately. Does that make sense to you? So does my corporate or public expression of worship enhance or does it hinder? (laughs) What hinders me is when people stare at me when they should be worshiping. No, I'm just... Romans 14 talks about the liberty, the the laws of liberty. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. It says basically saying, don't judge another person's freedom what they feel free to do. I'm not talking about sin issues, talking about the freedom. And then it says that in the same phrase, but don't use your freedom to cause other people to stumble, right? And so it means, it means enhance, but also don't hinder. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing that uh, uh, quite, quite a lot, actually, because I don't have time to read all, all the expressions. So in corporate settings, um, we need to be aware of others and we need to be very conscious about how what I do is enhance, enhancing or is it hindering others. And again, at home, you can do what you want. Um, but there's, there's been seasons in, in the church and I've lived long enough to see movements of God. Movements rise and movements kind of fizzle and then they keep going, you know, and then there's something kind of new on the scene. And um, there's, there's been movements where just dance, 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 dance before the Lord. There's been movements where everybody had a, a, a banner, you know, they were waving before the Lord, a worship banner. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been in those places and <laughs> got hit by a few. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, and so there, there's been movements. And so there's been movements of your private prayer and worship coming together and making it more public. And so I would, I would venture to land here. And, and, and this is, I just want you to hear, me, hear my heart today. Is that okay? Corporate times of prayer and worship are not just for you privately to experience God. Although I hope that you do personally experience God. We're a very individualistic culture here in America. Is that okay? We just really are. It's all about me. It's all about what I experience. But when we get together corporately, it's also about what your brothers and sisters are experiencing. And if, and, if, and, and, and if you're not okay with that, maybe you need to worship at home where you can just make sure it's all about you. Does that make sense about your experience? But no, when we come into a place like this, I do have a personal experience with God many times, but I'm always very aware of what my brothers and sisters are also experiencing. And I think that's right and, it, and it's good because corporate unity can't happen if you're all shutting yourself and you don't see anybody else. Just about me and God and I have my eyes closed for a couple hours. That makes sense? Okay, I'll get off my little soapbox and back. A.W. A. Tozer said it, said it this way, another author, he says, any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty good. They're like, yeah, you're not gonna have a good time up there, some of y'all. <clears throat> Here's what hinders me, and it's hindered some of you, corporate worship. Um, went to a church, really large mega church, soon after I was saved. I think I was 19 or 20, and um, not only did they have a lot of flags and banners, which didn't bother me at all, uh, but when they were dancing and twirling across the stage, it, it looked more like a Hawaiian luau, <laughs> belly dancers, 
than it did a worship service. And I was a little bit like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what to do with this. And I was, and, and, and why was I hindered? Because it was very distracting. And then I was in another church service. Um, and, and again, so well, this is what I want to say about that. I have a lot to say. I'm trying to fit it in in just a few minutes. Y'all okay with that? So I'm rambling a little bit today. But we're gonna, this, this first Friday, when we get together for a longer time of worship, longer time of praise, and we're going to fit in some prayer and ministry in there, some people ask, you know, can we bring our flags and banners? And I said, absolutely, yes. Um, there's, a, there's a place back there that's wide open, you know, where you can have, like, worship, and, and there might be room here and here at the sides, you know, where there's, there's people. And, and here's the reason we say that is we've grown a lot. We've all experienced a lot. My pastor friends of mine, some of them said, absolutely no way. That's never happening in a church service where I'm part of. And here's the reason reason why. I've been in church services where the flaggers showed up and, and they would uh, wave them over various people's heads and I'll be like, oh my gosh, there's birds flapping in here and I'm distracted. And I've been hit by flags before. Come on, raise your hand if you've been hit by one of these. See what I'm saying? And then it causes, now listen, it causes an overreaction by pastors. Then they say, heck no, it's disorderly, it's out of control. So what I say is there's a place for that, for, for various expressions of worship, if those people can be submitted to what I would call a corporate worship setting, and then say, there where you're not going to hit anybody, there where you're not going to hit anybody, and back there where there's more room, does that make sense? And so we can allow for that. If you want to dance, man, here's another, here's another. This is what hinders me. I was worshiping, had my eyes closed many, many years ago with my friends at a worship service. And I, I felt, almost like felt like something changed in the atmosphere, but I couldn't explain it. Now, I was like, suddenly I wasn't worshiping. And I opened my eyes and this dude's fist is right in front of my face like this. Because he's standing here worshiping like this, you know. And, and his arm is right in front of my face, another inch and he would have hit my nose, right? And I'm going, dude, you worship over there. I'll stay here or I'll go over there. You stay here. You're just <laughs> not a corporate, not great for a corporate setting. Does that make sense? Why? Because it's all about hosting the presence of God. And in this setting, it's about hosting people well also. Does that make sense, somebody? <laughs> I've been um, bumped by uh, dancers. I've been hit by some flags. Um, my personal space invaded by extravagant worshipers. Um, stumbled over people kneeling before the Lord. Um, I'm going to tell you one more just so you get my heart today. I had to call a gentleman. Well, it was the previous church that we pastored, but this gentleman would wait until he scared the daylights out of a lot of our people. And he'd wait until everyone's praising, everyone's worshiping, and there's shouts of hallelujah, and then it dies down, right? And, then, and that's when he shouts the most loudest hallelujah, praise the Lord, you can imagine. And people that were sitting next to him almost jumped out of their skin. And they came to pastors like, you know, and then the word began to spread. Don't sit in that corner where he, because he will, he'll catch you off guard. You know, <laughs> okay. That was one of the weirdest phone calls I ever made as a pastor. It was like, we love your extravagant worship. But in a corporate setting, worship when people are worshiping. And when it's time to be quiet, honor, honor one another. Come on, somebody. You're here to scare the ladies off. Uh, you're not going to get a girlfriend that way. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 14 says this. I just thought of it. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a curse. So sometimes what we think is extravagant worship in a corporate setting, other people go, I'm annoyed. 
Let's move on. Let's move on. I think you got the point. I still love vibrant worship atmospheres. After saying all that, and I say that because this has made pastors very cautious about our modern-day worship experiences, but I prefer a very open, very zealous, very vibrant worship experience more than the quiet, <laughs> singing, an acapella hymn. No offense to that. When we sing hymns here, it's, it's pretty lit because we add some great instruments to it, but I just prefer that. Um, and you might not, and that's okay. We can be diverse. Here's what enhances. Here's what enhances me. I remember going to church with Alicia when we first got married. Uh, we first got saved, actually. She was going to a Dove church. And um, again, Lancaster County culture. Um, but there was this, this one guy. It actually used to be her youth leader act. There's this one guy who just lit up that culture every time the pastor was preached. I could hear him in worship shouting and praising above everyone else. He was the most extravagant worshiper, but he was very appropriate, and he's always very lit. And when the pastor would start to preach, he was one of the few, amen, corners. When the pastor would say something, you know, he, like some of y'all, he would just go, like, amen, amen, pastor. You know, and, and I fell in love with that guy because he changed the atmosphere and he always said amen at the right time. Does that make sense? I've been in environments where it's like, and the Lord said. And everyone's like, amen, amen, amen. But I, didn't, I didn't tell you what the Lord said yet. You know, <laughs> y'all been in those environments too. Like, No, what I mean is this guy, he, he was always right on target. And you could tell he was really with it and really absorbing what God was actually doing and saying in the room. And, and that really enhances a culture. Does that make sense? Some of you ameners, I just want to call you out and say, give an amen to the body of Christ at the right time, at the right place. Shout a hallelujah. Bring us your halal. Bring us your amen. I, I wasn't raised this way, man. I, I came into a culture at age 19 when I got saved, and I fell in love with a culture that it's not just a pastor alone on the stage, but the people are talking to him. And the people are shouting back at him, amen and hallelujah. So I love that. I wasn't raised that way, but I wouldn't want to have it any other way now. And I'm convinced that's what they do with Jesus, man. He's teaching. They're asking him questions. They're shouting him down. And it's a back and forth. Come on, it's a relationship. So anyway, I'm, I'm not offended at all if you do that. So amen, brother. <laughs> <clears throat> if we come together, let's build one another up. Let's enhance the corporate worship experience and join with one another. And that's what becomes what I would call contagious. There's a place in Ephesians 5. I don't think I put this verse up there. It says addressing one another. You ever wonder what this is like? This is what I mean. It's, it's addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, worship songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart toward one another. Now, it's a little interesting. I mean, you stop and ponder what it's actually saying. I am worshiping God, but I'm very conscious that I'm alongside you. And when I worship God, I'm enhancing your worship. I'm compelling you to praise the God that I think is amazing. And this person compels another person, and I'm aware of her, and I'm aware of him. And together, we're going to sing a song of praise to God while I'm 100% aware of my neighbor and 100% aware of God at the same time. Corporately, we need both because we compel one another on and encourage one another on to enhance a worship experience. You okay with that this morning? Amen. So if you want, worship with your eyes open next time. See what happens. No, I'm, 
I'm serious. I've done that. Sometimes I'll close my eyes. Sometimes I'm like, eyes wide open. I want to see who I'm worshiping next to because I love this. And God does too. Okay, number four. Number four. Why do we worship? Um, I want to talk a little bit about a warfare aspect of worship. And um, the author from the book Shifting Atmospheres, her name is Donna De Silva, put it this way. Uh, one of the greatest weapons in our arsenal is worship and praise. When using this technique, we quell the enemy's attempt to infiltrate our minds and hearts, and we focus on our original assignment, our relationship with God. And therefore, we deflect the enemy's attacks. Psalm 97 puts it this way, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And by exalting him, let me put it this way, I don't care for worship services that when we get together, there's a sin consciousness or too much of a focus on the enemies. That makes sense. But by default, we're crushing enemies when we exalt the Lord above the enemy. And so we come in and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. God is the God, Jehovah. He's my healer and my provider, et cetera, et cetera. Jehovah Jireh. We exalt him in many, many different ways. By default, what is happening is spiritual warfare. Not because you come in focused on demons, but because you come in and focusing on the Lord of all the earth. And by default, it displaces demons and demonic strongholds. And when you say he is truth, it displaces lies in us in the culture, in the environment. God is God and there is no other is another way of spiritual warfare. Because sometimes that's why people leave a worship experience and go, I feel better. Why do you feel better? Because you place God at the highest place in your mind and in your heart and you did it with a bunch of brothers and sisters and you leave full of faith going, enemies are under my feet. Jesus said enemies are under my feet because he has made waste to them at the cross. And then you leave this place in faith. And saying, I'm ready to go conquer the world again. Amen, somebody? In the name of Jesus. Here's how it worked in the book of Acts. Starting at 16, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were, were listening to them. Imagine that. They're singing and all the prisoners have to listen to them singing. It didn't seem like they shut them down at all. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And then immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. Wait, wait. Everyone's? Even the crooks? Wait, wait. They started praising, and when the prison shook and loosened them, it loosened the bonds and the, and the chains of everyone in the prison, whether they deserved it or not. Wait. I don't know if I'm the only one catching this. Man, when we praise and worship, spiritual warfare happens in such a way that is more than just you and I. Something happens in a region. Something happens in a culture. Not just this place. Something happens in the heavenlies. When you praise and worship, enemies start to crack. Their foundations start to crack and chains are being loose. Maybe in your family. Maybe in your workplace. What did you do? Praise Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. Where, where's prisons? I thought that when I read that story again a couple years ago, I went, wait, everyone? Even some of them that deserved to be there? And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because, um, you know, he thought that he left the prisoners escape. Right? He supposed that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we're all here. 
And the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And this started with a worship service, y'all. Now it's leading to salvation of a whole household and it's leading to the freedom of prisoners everywhere. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and he washed their wounds and he baptized. He and his whole family were baptized in water the same night. It started with a worship service. It started with the whole prison's chains being broken. It led to the salvation of an entire family and the same night baptizing an entire household. He brought them up into his house and he set food before them, the jailer did, and he rejoiced. Ooh, there's that word rejoice. I bet they're spinning around their living room <laughs> with weird emotion, unlike the German Dutch culture. I could pick on that culture because that's where I was raised. Y'all okay with that? Stoic is all stoic. They weren't stoic after that. They were rejoicing, leaping and dancing and shouting, and I'm surprised they didn't get arrested because it was at night, and they were probably making a loud voice because they were so happy with what had been, happened, been done in their lives. Okay, so why do we worship? It's spiritual warfare. Does that make sense? Number two, there's many other reasons, but number two is it's cultivating an awareness of God's manifest presence. I'm not fond of people praying until God comes because it's not New Testament. God's already here. We pray until we're aware of him. Does that make sense? I'm not fond of worship services that sing and then they actually sing in weird ways to say, please God, show up because we're singing. I'm paraphrasing some worship songs that I'm, I diss sometimes. If we sing this properly, then God will show up. That's actually not New Testament theology. He is already here because he came to church with you because you're a Christian. <laughs> you're a believer, right? He came with you. We sing to cultivate an awareness of him being here. And that is a huge theological difference because when you start from a premise of, I hope God shows up, that's depressing. God's already here, but I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna worship. Why? Because I want to be 100% aware that he's here and I want my focus now to be on him. And then when I'm 100% aware of his presence and cultivate that sense, that's where miracles happen in this place, happen in me and happen in this place. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, before the presence, it says in some translations, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Psalm 16.11 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. What does it mean in his presence? What I just said, when you're 100% fully aware that God is God and he dwells in me and with me, that is his presence right there. And when you cultivate that awareness, there's usually and oftentimes a physical manifestation, an outward manifestation, emotional, physical, in many, many, many different ways. I've been in worship services where a cloud appeared. I've been in worship services where people got faint and fell over. Some people call that being slain in the Holy Spirit. I'm okay with all of that if it's authentic and if it's real and it's not coerced. Come on, I ain't gonna push you over. I, I ain't the Holy Spirit. But when you cultivate an atmosphere of his presence, we laid hands on no one sometimes and they left healed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was there. Amen, somebody. Psalm 150, I'm gonna wrap it up with this. Psalm 150, starting at verse one, praise the Lord. Praise God. Now think of all the expressions of praise that I just mentioned earlier. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. By the way, New Testament, you are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Praise him in his mighty heavens. We praise him for his mighty deeds and we praise him according to his excellent greatness. Stand with me for the rest of this. I'm gonna keep reading. Go ahead and stand. I'm done with this. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. We praise him with tambourines and dancing. We praise him with strings and pipe and we praise him with sounding cymbals and then we praise him with loud clashing Symbols, come on, Mr. Graf. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Praise the Lord. My question this morning is where are you on this journey? Are you stuck in a cultural definition that you defined or your parents defined for you or culture defined for you? And have you decided to love God the way that He defines love, worship, praise, and exaltation? And if not, you can simply decide to do that. You know what the word repentance means? To change your mind. It means to change your heart and mind and to think differently about these things. That's actually the core root of the word uh, metanoia, uh, repentance. Do you feel free to express your praise and adoration or do you feel stuck maybe in the fear of man or something like that or just culturally stuck? The other thing that I'm wondering is maybe you're here this morning and go, I don't know who I'm worshiping. Like, I like this vibrant church experience, but I haven't made a decision that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, and I'm not sure that I am worshiping him or have ever worshiped him. Every eye closed for just a moment today. We'll do it this way. Sometimes I do it differently. But what this does is just give people a moment just to think about, have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? And have you chosen in your heart to say, I worship him and him alone above all else? If not, well, we would love to pray with you. If you just shoot your hand up in the air to say, I'm there. I want to make that decision, become a true worshiper in spirit. Would you raise your hand up in the air? We're going to pray with you today anywhere. I see you. Proud of you. I see you. Very proud of you. I see you. I see you. I don't know how many I saw. Proud of you. Very proud of you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, we're going to pray together. Y'all ready? We're all going to pray together. We're going to help them and then celebrate them and say, Jesus Christ. I give you my life and I turn from my sins. I fully receive your love and forgiveness. I publicly declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord, and the Holy Spirit is welcome to live within me. I worship you and I praise you and you alone. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's celebrate this few people that said yes to Jesus. If you're online and you suggest to Jesus, we'd love to hear that. Just write it in there. If you're online today, we have a book for you. Those of you who said yes for Jesus, we stop by the, the um, Next Step station. We have a book to give you to help you on your journey. We would love to do that for you. If you're new to Grace Church, we would love to celebrate that with you by, by here, like getting a connect card from you. By the way, you can scan it now. That's right in front of you if you didn't do that yet. Or stop by the Next Step station. Let us know how we can pray for you and serve you on your journey. If you got baptized today, we have a certificate for you just to celebrate that. Hang it in your office or on the refrigerator. You can stop, again, the Next Step station has them for you. Uh, don't forget to stop by there. We have it uh, with your name already printed out. Grace Church family, I love you so much. You're going to worship one more time with me? Amen, amen. Talk soon. <clears throat>